This week in the parish of bourses and market structure. A Chinese olive branch for US listings, while a key shareholder finally comes out against TPI cap management and the ASX delays chess replacement yet again. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, episode 138. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of highlights amongst the key headlines from the week in market structure. All the analysis of the many events of the past seven days can be found in Exchange Invest's daily newsletter, The Unique Guide to the Bourse Business, sent daily to your inbox. More details at exchangeinvest.com or via our social media. The Chinese authorities appear to be shifting their stance on the long-standing audit standoff with a proposal that may cohere sufficiently to keep Chinese listings happening in the USA and thus the Chinese more in the global financial system as they work towards yuan convertibility at a cautious pace. The plan relegates the CSRC to the back seat in the auditing dispute between the US and China from the role it has held since 2016 as the collector and gatekeeper of China's audit working papers. Meanwhile in India, in the National Stock Exchange, Kolo Holy Hoax fiasco, even the guru can't get the accused out of jail. Both Chitra Ramkrishna and Anand Subramanian's attempts to secure bail have both failed as we record this podcast. Over at the LME, they are doubling, pretty much, the size of their default fund to $2 billion during the course of the month of April. I think that's what we can call a start to resolving the nickel crisis. Meanwhile, other news of a start is news that one TPI cap shareholder is seeking urgent change. That's long overdue, but welcome all the same. Justin Hughes has, understandably, been driven to write to those stewarding the aspirant penny stock TPI cap in a direction far from prosperity. Sadly, the management of TPI cap themselves are broadly discredited. The board of directors would be challenged by supine sheep. This fiasco needs to end. Bravo, Justin Hughes, for calling the shots on what has become a sorry fiasco. Meanwhile, Hong Kong exchanges, they announced very exciting plans. Chief Executive Nicholas Agazin steered through the 2022 corporate day with news of digital trading platforms, ETF Connect schemes and overseas offices as part of the Hong Kong exchanges growth plan under his stewardship. Elsewhere, the Moscow Exchange, they resumed share and bond trading in a what might be called normal mode during abnormal times last Monday. Nevertheless, non-residents are having to wait. Therefore, through the time when we're recording this podcast, they're barred from selling stocks and OFZ ruble bonds until the 1st of April. Perhaps a fitting tribute to All Fool's Day. 
In Shanghai, the latest COVID lockdowns have led to exchange staff camping in the office to keep the Shanghai Stock Exchange buzzing during lockdown. Exchange Invest takes our hats off collectively to the devotion of the Shanghai Exchange staff. Happy birthday to Intercontinental Exchange, more specifically their IFAD, the Intercontinental Exchange Futures Abu Dhabi. They've marked their first anniversary of trading as an exchange and, of course, with their new benchmark, ICE Merban Crude Futures. All the best to CEO Jamal Ulhaj, who made a surprise appearance as a very welcome special guest on the IPO vid livestream. You can catch that on YouTube, youtube.com, search for IPO-vid. Just a couple of weeks ago, when along with Tribu Bland, we were talking about the ICE Futures business. Moreover, it's a great tribute. They're now 365 days into trading with a market which itself only took something like 504 days to build. Other good news for the New York Stock Exchange, of course itself an element of the Intercontinental Exchange framework this week. They, amongst other exchanges, defeated a high-frequency trading lawsuit. It's been going on for many years. In a 46-page decision, U.S. District Judge Jesse Furman in the Manhattan courts said investors in the proposed class action could not prove that they had suffered harm because of the exchange's actions. The judge clearly didn't rate the expert witness report, amongst other aspects of the documentation provided to him. Six, the Swiss exchange, they're realigning their operational structure to support growth in their international capital markets infrastructure business. As PLY put it in the Exchange Invest newsletter this week, if I've read this correctly from the original Switzer Deutsch, between the lines I think this reads... We're carving out a more flexible way for our exchange business to really frustrate Stefan Bujna. But then again, my Swiss German is very rusty, so I may have missed some nuance. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com, with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or, if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome, wherever you find this podcast. In results this week, spectacular year numbers for Aquas Exchange, fresh from their double listing on their own platform alongside the London Stock Exchange. The audited results for the year ended 31st of December 2021, see revenue up 42%, but it's the bottom line we have to look at with great excitement. Profits pre-tax up 540% to £3.2 million, and basic earning per shares up 300%. Excellent Aquas results all round. Plaudits to Alistair Haynes and his team. New markets this week. One key new market, Incubex and Trayport, announced the successful launch of their voluntary climate marketplace. There's only one daily news source for the business of bourses, Exchange Invest, the exchange of information. Exchange Invest publishes the daily digest of everything in the market structure industry around the world in a user-friendly email briefing format from Monday to Friday. With additional pith by former Exchange CEO and long-standing fintech pioneer Patrick L. Young, yes, that's me, Exchange Invest is the unique one-stop shop for the daily news in markets, market operators and related functions. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at 200 US dollars per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com 
or email me, patrick at derivativesvision.com. Deals news this week, a trio of acquisitions and investments and indeed sellings of assets by Deutsche Börse. First of all, the sellings of assets, well, they've loaded up with a little more debt. They successfully placed a 600 million euro corporate bond at the attractive coupon they were eager to note of 1.5%. I think attractive coupon here means it wasn't quite as good as we might have got a couple of months ago, but still pretty spectacular in what is an inflationary and rate increasing environment. They also announced via EEX an investment in and partnership with, or indeed extension of the partnership with the Air Carbon Exchange out of Singapore. Air Carbon Exchange also announcing this week that their Abu Dhabi platform is a go-go thanks to Abu Dhabi Global Markets permission from the regulators there. Given the proximity of previous cooperation between DB1EEX and Air Carbon Exchange, it strikes me as a logical development of the relationship on all sides. If you want to learn more about Air Carbon Exchange, check out our IPO vid on the topic. We were talking to Bill Pazos just a few weeks ago. Again, on YouTube, go to YouTube and search for ipo-vid.com and you can find all of our 60 videos there. Meanwhile, Deutsche Börse also acquired the fund data manager Knipe from Luxembourg, and that's going to be incorporated into their cornucopia of shareholder and issuer services businesses within Clearstream. London Stock Exchange, they made an announcement this week. They were selling $596 million worth of shares on behalf of a series of bailing, I mean, some parties selling as a result of the refinitive deal. Perhaps not the ultimate gesture of confidence in the ability of LSEG to integrate what is proving a challenging deal. Speaking of challenging deals, how are you facing up to the world in lockdown or possibly post-lockdown, depending on whether you're in China or the rest of the world? If you're trying to get to grips with the world of fintech and the future of finance, then Victory or Death, Blockchain, Cryptocurrency and the Fintech World, my most recent book, ought to be for you. After all, COVID-19 has proven a killer, but can the aftermath kill your career in this intriguing world of supply-side shortages? To help you understand how technology is affecting life and markets, this is the book to help you. Victory or Death is published by DV Books and is distributed by Ingram Worldwide in good bookstores now. While you're waiting for your copy of Victory or Death to arrive, check out our live stream. As I mentioned earlier, it's on at Tuesday, 6 p.m. London. That's 1 p.m. New York time, the IPO video live show. You can catch the back episodes on Facebook, LinkedIn and YouTube. Search for IPO-vid. Our most recent show this week, we enjoyed a great conversation with the loquacious Catherine McBride. After Brexit, we're next for World Trade. Coming next week, Sonara, all about bringing trading solutions to life with a special guest, Hamish Adurian. Exchange Invest is the daily must-read by the most influential figures operating the world's best markets. We invite you to join the exclusive group of Boris Bosses and other C-suite executives who make Exchange Invest the exchange of information, their daily business intelligence guide to markets the world over. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at US$200 per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com or email me, patrick at derivativesvision.com. In crypto land this week, ooh, via PR Newswire, we had this sensational headline-grabbing story. Crypto exchange revenue grew 600% in 2021, surpassing traditional exchanges like NYSE. Well, it might be surpassing on the growth number, but then again, if you look at the per trade, 
cost of using a crypto exchange, it's staggeringly expensive compared to what this press release hubristically referred to, the old venerable names like the New York Stock Exchange, Nasdaq, Deutsche Börse and CME, which it goes on to note, have all been left behind in the dust by crypto. I hesitate to agree with that viewpoint, ladies and gentlemen. I think we can actually leave a marker here. It strikes me that we're close to peak hubris as the V1 crypto bubble potentially peaks. Elsewhere, I would note that crypto companies have agreed to more than a billion dollars of sports sponsorship already this year. Those numbers point not to the paradigm shifting now, but perhaps the VC money being dumb enough to be crowding in and thinking it's a one-leg upswing in a degree of desperation and FOMO. Value is being built, but this is too far, too fast to really be in the mainstream just yet, methinks. Elsewhere in crypto news, crypto exchange Kraken's new CFO has, it has been noted, previously paid $65,000 in penalties for charges related to misleading investors and breaching fiduciary duty. She'd admitted no guilt. It all reminds me rather of meeting an Australian mining entrepreneur many moons ago who'd recently been in jail for some aggravated taxation dispute. My counsel at the time assured me not to be concerned as, in his words, this was a mere rite of passage crime in Western Australian mining circles. I wonder, does the same thing go for crypto? In El Salvador, degree of confusion. Did they turn to Binance for help on Bitcoin adoption or didn't they? President Bukele had hit out at a Bitcoin bond, FUD, fear, uncertainty and doubt, as CZ, the eponymous head of Binance, jetted into El Salvador. Interestingly, what did Binance's CEO get from that? Well, it seems possibly COVID. He tested COVID positive after the El Salvador visit. And at the same time, Binance Academy have launched a Learn and Earn program. Hmm. Some wags are alleging if you can learn the precise nature of Binance's office addresses and HQ location, you can earn outside the program, as I suspect a lot of media may pay you handsomely. On a more worrying note still relating to Binance this week, the Ukrainian crypto exchange founder of Kuna, Michael Chobanyan, has said that Binance have been working with the Russian government for some time, despite global sanctions. Product news this week. ICE introduced their futures on nature-based solution, carbon credit futures. They were announced last November and are now aiming for a March 9th launch for the contract. Elsewhere, expansive. You can remember we had a great conversation with Henrik Hasselknipe on the IPO vid show just a few weeks ago. YouTube.com, IPO-vid to search for. Expansive, they've launched Digital Crude Oil with London Energy and Intertech as inaugural participants. ICE had a successful second expiry in their Midland WTI American Gulf Coast Futures contract with some 2.5 million barrels going to delivery in April. That's very healthy growth indeed as they try to wrest away the advantage from the post-Cushing crisis, pure play West Texas Intermediate contract at NYMEX CME. And NASDAQ have launched the world's first carbon removal indexes via their Puro Earth subsidiary. Once again, Puro Earth, their fabulous chairman, Frederick Ekstrom, was a guest on IPOVid just a few weeks ago, if you want to go and catch that live stream. ICE have expanded their renewable futures markets with the launch of Renewable Volume Obligation Futures and LCH CDS Clear launched client clearing of credit index options. 
Exciting news in India, the recognised exchanges have got the SEBI nod to float options on commodity indices. That looks like a material improvement for shareholders of, for example, the MCX, the Multi-Commodity Exchange of India. CME Group, they've gone more down the retail angle once again. They've launched micro-sized Bitcoin and Ether options. While over in Russia, the Bank of Russia is backstopping companies... If they are delisted abroad, the Russian stock exchanges will maintain the listing of securities of multinational companies headquartered in Russia. Elsewhere in Russian news this week, Russia is open to selling natural gas for Bitcoin, we learned via Nasdaq. You know, I was in a cafe the other day in Little Havana in Miami, and it had a sign which read, Everything is on sale except the barista. Frankly, I'm not sure, ladies and gentlemen, that Russia is even that restrictive right now. Technology news this week. Saudi Tadawal Group, they announced their intention to launch a bundle of enhancements to develop the post-trade infrastructure. Well, the big tech news of the week was the chess replacement project. Under the Pravda-esque headline, changes to project schedule, which as we always know, changes to project schedule means delay. The chess replacement is being delayed a fourth Time. My fourth time lucky isn't a thing unless you believe in, say, W.D. Gann's theory of technical analysis, but I doubt that was on the mind of the ASX when they announced their latest delay to the chess replacement saga. There was an independent expert report released just the other day from EY. Now there's going to be another delay, even though the market view is increasingly that this project, with one ASX CEO leaving the entity he had styled with, it has to be said, a legacy of failures in the field, He'd referred to it as a technology company. This self-styled technology company is already looking like the IT equivalent of that classic New Yorker meeting schedule. How about never is never good for you, cartoon. Within the report of the update, aka the pending delay report, GEMS included. As announced last week, we have released the first independent report on the Project's Assurance Programme, with EY finding that the programme is fit for purpose and no significant gaps have been identified. That's presumably excluding, within no significant gaps, the project being delayed four times, the recent crisis meeting in New York City with Digital Asset, and the project being originally scheduled to go live in April 2021. Let's not even mention the 30 to $50 million original estimate of costs, which now appears to balloon to $250 million. Let's not even go on to mention the investment in digital asset holdings, which has already been broadly diluted because the Australian Stock Exchange didn't participate in subsequent funding rounds. When Dominic Stevens announced his retirement as ASX CEO on February 10th, it was because he said he couldn't commit to another six years in the hot seat. The big question is, will digital asset be powering chess before that six-year window ends? Regulation news this week. Abu Dhabi Global Market, their FSRA, have published a consultation paper to advance their capital markets framework and ecosystem. Meanwhile, ESMA extended the UK's CCP recognition decisions, presumably through gritted teeth, and the CFTC have extended the deadline for public comments on the FTX US request for amended derivatives license. The comment period has been extended to May the 11th. Many FCMs may be harumphing about being disintermediated. We'd have to say, hashtag whatevs. 
However, the issue of FTX deciding their small lot non-CCP clearing with trailing stops concept can work when you have medium level, let alone supersized participants, is frankly an unproven assertion on what might be regarded as being the titanic hubris unsinkable ship index. Career Pass this week. Congratulations to four new CFTC commissioners on a very pleasantly bipartisan confirmation sessions. Christy Goldsmith Romero, Kristen Johnson, Summer Christine Mersinger, and Caroline Pham mark an exciting diversion and a wonderful moment for diversity. Four ladies simultaneously confirmed as the new CFTC commissioners to add to the bench. Over at Borsa Italiana, the chairman, Andrea Cerrone, has resigned as he wants to become the chairman of Generali, the Italian insurance multinational, and is staking his claim to that via Mediobanca, who are battling for supremacy of the Italian insurance company against an insurgent backlash from a series of investors. Much more significantly for the parish, an elegant Salvatore Ferragamo stiletto has pierced the glass ceiling in Piazza della Fari as Uranex chooses Mrs. Claudio Partzani as the new chairman, the first female chairman of the Borsa Italiana elevating the deputy chairman to the main position. Speaking of deputy chairman, the deputy chairman of MOEX, representing VTB, Vadim Kulik, has resigned from the supervisory board of Moscow Exchange on March the 12th. With the website down, we have not been able to entirely clarify the state of the board. Following the resignation of Mr. Kulik, the MOEX notes the supervisory board of Moscow Exchange has seven directors, four of whom are independent. Being able to once again access the MOEX site after it was down for a prolonged period of time, we note that independent directors, all of them from the western parts of Europe, Ramon Adaraga, Paul Bodart, Maria Gordon, and indeed Alexander Isosimov, all resigned on March the 2nd following the Russian invasion of Ukraine on February 24th. NASDAQ, meanwhile, they've appointed Oliver Albers as EVP, Head of Investment Intelligence. All the best to Lauren Dillard, who's occupied that role for many years. She's taking a senior executive role at a private equity firm. Finally this week in Career Paths, Sharon Shi Ning. She has been appointed as Group CEO-elect of GH Financials. The boss of the Hong Kong arm of the GH Empire is going to be relocating to London and replacing Mark Phelps, who stepped down after a decade in the role last December. Oh, and actually one final, final postscript. Pete Osborne has departed TMX in London for the exciting new pastures of Apple DeFi, a corporate investor in the burgeoning DeFi space which has just completed a pre-IPO funding round. All the very best to Pete on his exciting new endeavour. In Big World this week, well, as I was discussing on Tuesday in Exchange Invest, 
Welcome to Generation Highval. Lest you haven't noticed, and I doubt, dear parishioners, it has escaped your notice, the generation of QE addled funny money, low interest rates is all but over. Jeff Cutler wrote a great article about various macro aspects in his latest missive for GARP. The risk landscape is crowded and complicated. What happens next? One of the key concerns is, of course, that once all those tediously self-defining grown-ups of the Devosian classes agree on something, it's quite clear we ought to be looking in another direction, as the Wefsters are expert in observing some trends while missing the Everests under the carpet. To which end, we're now, after a prolonged period of linearism in many respects, entering a very destabilising period. Therefore, we have a very exciting opening which will at the same time strike fear into the hearts of many in the parish. For our divide amongst our brethren and sistren is into what remains a rather modest cadre of lateralists and a vast swathe of linearists. Clearly, Rumsfeld's known unknowns malarkey is impactful here, but suddenly after this QE low-vol generation, which has been essentially ongoing since 2000 AD, we're moving into, as I said, Generation Highvol. And of course, Generation Highvol could mean golden age for the Bourse business. So if you haven't noticed in the past two years, welcome to Generation Highval. Post-Covid, it isn't going away anytime soon. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Patrick L. Young, the principal of Exchange Invest, builder of exchanges the world over. I wish you a great week in blockchain, life and markets. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our program, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.